Good to see you this morning. Welcome if you're online with us. Uh, we're just glad you're here today. I want to take a minute and share something with you that you may or may not know before I preach. And that is, I know you hear this, and we're going to start sharing it more, but we have an incredible resource on an app for your phone that you may or may not be using. So if you're not on the app this week, you miss two important things. One is a letter that I wrote to our church about all the new faces and new people that are coming. You may or may not know this, but we have some people who are going to come to our church in the next few weeks, and we're going to be welcoming them in. You haven't seen them in a long time, maybe, or some of you may have never seen them. Very talented couple. We're grateful for them. There are many other people on here that, uh, on this list, that many of you don't know their faces or their names. And so we put that on there with a little bit of explanation, sharing who they are. So if you look around and you see somebody you don't know, chances are you need to get to know them. So take a moment and introduce yourself. Ask them how long they've been here, whatever. Don't feel shy. We've got a lot of new faces. We have double-digit, okay, faces of new people. So we're excited about that. If you don't have that app, you miss that. And the second thing you missed is daily Bible reading and devotions. Now, what you may or may not know is we put the Advent calendar and the Advent scripture reading on the app, which means this. If you struggle with daily devotions in the morning, like a lot of Christians do, you know, what should I read? I, I don't have two hours. I only have a few minutes. What should I read? What should I be thinking about? I have a software program that integrates with this app perfectly. And so one of the things that we're going to be doing in the near future is we're going to be putting on scriptures every day. When you log on, you'll have something to read. It doesn't take but a minute or two. This morning, if you looked at the app, you read Jeremiah 23. Am I right? Am I right? Anybody reading the Advent calendar? About the righteous branch. Back in Jeremiah, God talked about a righteous branch that would come. And he would be the deliverer of the people. See what you would have woke up to this morning besides the headline news? Man, it had been so much better, wouldn't it? By the way, I shared earlier, so important to have that tool because when I get to sermon number three in this series, talking about being connected, you're going you're gonna to want to be connected. We're going to be putting resources on there, online Bible studies, you know, we only really meet one time a week here. We've tried several things, and I'm not opposed to trying it again if you'll commit to come. We've had midweek services before, and only 10 or 15 consistent people show up. I would do a service midweek right now if we had attendance. But there's not a lot of time to teach. And some of you want to be taught. Y'all want to learn. We can, through this app, teach visually, virtually, whatever you want to call it, all the way through books and so forth. Put articles up there. You can ask questions. You know, some of you all have questions about life, and the Christian life that you'd love to ask, but you won't. You can do it anonymously. Send us an anonymous question. We'll be glad to take that forum and answer it. But how do you do that? You go to your app store. You type in Faith Life, F-A-I-T-H-L-I-F-E. Faith Life. You download Faith Life. Then you search for Trinity Community Church. When you find our logo, click it. When you do that, 
you come into our group. By the way, some people are worried about putting their picture and their personal information on it. Don't worry about it. It's the most secure app you could ever have. When you want to come into our group, one of the two administrators, either Brian or I, know who you are, and we select your name and move you from a follower to a member. That allows you to see information and other people's information. Without that step, you don't get in this app. And not just anybody can find you, folks. So take all those things that are keeping you from downloading the app and, and do it. And by the way, the next time you spend time on Facebook and you don't have faith life, may the Spirit of God convict you as hard as He can, okay? We want you to scroll our church app because we believe that it's going to have some very good information. By the way, you can live stream our service if you have to miss. One click and you're live streaming. Free online software, you can't beat it. What a great deal. We did that for you, by the way. That was a lot. It was a lot to switch that over. But we've done that so that we can connect with you. We want to connect. And that is your online directory, too, by the way. People tell us all the time, well, I don't know who such and such is. Well, we're, we will never do another print directory. Your directory will be digital. And if you have a smartphone... You can put your own picture on your own profile that only your church people can see. And it's this hard. Are you ready? Smile, push, and add to it. And people can see your beautiful face and know who you are and have any of the information you want them to have. So please do that. And uh, update your profile. Treat that like your church directory. Want to connect to people. Quit being afraid of people. People want to know you. And so I'm, I'm on Sermon 3 now, right? Let me get back to Sermon 1. If you remember a week ago, last week, I started talking to you about five characteristics of a, a church that brings glory to God. you remember? By the way, I had to change my whole sermon series. You don't know how much I had to work. I had my sermon calendar planned out to do something. And God intervened. And interrupted my sermon schedule because we had a mission statement which was making more and better disciples well i couldn't explain that and you couldn't either and so i thought to myself lord there's got to be something more simple what in the world do you want us to do as a church and so as i began to pray and search and look this came up so clear and so obvious that trinity community church needs to exist to point people to jesus that is why we are here folks that is why you are saved today you are saved to point other people to jesus christ the one who can change their life but there are five characteristics of a church that points people to jesus that does it in such a way that it honors god and what are those characteristics well Number one, if I can get to it, Patrick, you're going to have to change me. Number one is love. Love. <clears throat> we have to love God, and we have to love others. The second characteristic was what? If you remember from last week, we have to grow. Not only can we as followers of Jesus love, but we have to grow more into the image of Christ. The third is we need to do what? Connect. It's what I was just talking to you about. Love, grow, connect. An automatic reaction out of connection is what? Next, serving. Okay, 
It's just an automatic reaction. We have to serve. And then finally, we have to reach. By the way, let me share something with you this morning. You all are seeing all this craziness up here. You don't have any clue what went on behind the scenes, but let me just share with you, okay? I'll share with you, because I don't need this PowerPoint. I've already preached once without it. I created five sermons this week because I began to pray, Oh, God, help me, help me see what it is I need and Trinity needs. Forget all this three points in a poem. I could care less whether it hits Facebook and people like it or they don't. It, it doesn't matter to me. But help me see what the need of our church is and what you want us to hear. Because we want to hear from you this morning. We, we mean business. That's why we're here. I created five sermons trying to preach this week, and you can ask my wife. I had to throw every one of them away. Last night, I went back upstairs in my office at the house, which is the only place I can work and have peace. I went back up there to work again and stayed until 11 o'clock, restless as I could be. I had five sermons. Pick one. Went to bed last night, 11 o'clock. I woke up at 1. I woke up at 3. I woke up at 5, and I finally got up at 6-something. And I went back upstairs and landed on something totally different, but I preached it all night long in my sleep. Now, you may think this is ridiculous, and you may think that I'm being fanatical. I'm not. I believe God woke me up. And I believe that He impressed upon my heart to preach this. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've been doing this for over 20 years. There have been very few times this has ever happened to me. Very few but I'm convinced he did. And this is the passage that I landed on, Luke chapter 7. And here's the question. We're under love. What does God want us to do as believers in Jesus Christ this morning to show love to people? Well, when I began to think about that, I began to think, you know, in, in each of our lives, there are sometimes barriers, barriers, walls that come up that keep us from extending God's love to other people. And sometimes we see these barriers and sometimes we don't. But this passage perfectly portrays three of those barriers that keep us from extending God's love. Now three, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Get a pencil or a pen or something and find that offering envelope in front of you. And you don't even have to turn the offering envelope in today. I just want you to take these three words but there are three things, three barriers that keep us from pointing people to Jesus. This is true as Christians, and this is true as a church. And they're found right here in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. So you're going to have to turn there this morning because the lazy Bible that I have on the screen is not up there, okay? So I hope you brought a Bible. For heaven's sake, bring a Bible to church, even if it's on your phone, because it's the best thing in the world you'll ever do. I just blow hot air. This is the Word of God. Amen? Okay. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. 
And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, let me take you back so we can slide into our sandals and figure out what's happening. In this passage, Jesus is going through Jerusalem, telling them that he is the king of Israel and the savior of the world. Prior to this, the the very next passage, the one that came right before it, is not Luke chapter 7, verse 35. If you know what a harmony of the Gospels is, it's a passage where scholars have taken the three Gospels and lined them up chronologically so that you can read them in the order of events. If you take a harmony of the Gospels and you line this passage up, what you'll discover is the passage that comes right before this was the first public invitation of Jesus Christ to people. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. Now I want you all to get the scene. Jesus is out in the streets. He's preaching to the people. And the religious leaders have turned him down. He is not here. What does Jesus do? Get discouraged and go crawl under a rock? No. He turns to the people. And this is what he says. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. I'll give you rest for your souls. Out in that crowd was a young woman. This young woman, we read, walked into this house. Now, by the way, back in that day, they used to leave houses open. They used to meet in big open squares like this, and they would put the the eating table in the middle of the room. You had a special place at the table, and you would lay down with your feet sticking back. And people would lay around the table on one shoulder and they would reach and pick and eat on one side. They would leave the doors open so that people in the streets could look inside the the building and see who was there. And on this particular occasion, this woman snuck through the door, came over to where Jesus was because she had heard him give an invitation and she got down at his feet. Now before I describe what this lady did... Let me describe her. Okay, we don't know exactly what happened, but somewhere along the line, there was a baby born in Jerusalem. And a mother and a father gave birth to this beautiful little girl, and some mother held this girl in her arms. She kissed her face. She told her she was beautiful. She changed her diapers. She loved her. She did everything she could for her. But somewhere down the line, this child's life turned upside down. We don't know what it was. We don't know whether that little girl was abused by someone. We don't know whether her father was killed in the army. We don't know whether he just left the home. We don't know if disaster happened. But somehow or another, this little girl became destitute. And to put it mildly, her little fanciful dreams as a girl, you know, every little girl dreams of what? They dream of growing up, marrying Prince Charming, having a family and being taken care of and being loved, being provided for. Perhaps some of them dream of actually doing 
something in life as far as a career or whatever, but this little girl used to sit around and she used to have dreams. Fast forward years later and she wakes up in her 20s and all of her dreams have become nightmares. She's walking the streets of Jerusalem selling her body for another's pleasure. She thinks there's no hope as all addicts think there is no hope. And if you've ever been addicted or you know what addiction is or anybody, this woman was addicted. When she began to evaluate her life and she started to think if if she couldn't do this, there would be nothing else left in her life. If she had to quit this, there would be no reason for living. And she had this struggle that nobody could see but her. And she heard a Savior's voice one day that said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden in your soul, and I will give you rest. She didn't care what the cost. She didn't care who thought what. When she saw Jesus reclining at this table, this woman walked in to where he was. She crawled on her knees over behind all of these Pharisees, and she got up behind Jesus where his feet were, cocked behind him. Notice the text. She came up behind him. And she took a box of oil that probably cost her an unbelievable amount, and she took her hand, put up under his feet, which were filthy nasty, and she poured that oil on his feet, And she began to take her hair and scrub and clean the bottom of our Lord's feet. Now, by the way, for a woman to mess her hair up, it had to mean something to her. But I want you to get the picture. Sandy, nasty, dirty feet, and a woman coming in there with olive oil and dirt all mixed in her hair, grimed up. And then she's taken her face, because you know the hair doesn't get all the olive oil and the dirt off. She's taken her face, and she has started kissing repeatedly the feet of Jesus. So I want you to get the picture here. Here is a destitute street woman who has went into the house of Jesus, and her face and her hair are covered with oil and dirt soot all over her cheeks and her hair. Now the man that invited her didn't like this. Look down in the text in verse, I'm going to start reading 38 again. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him, that is Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, If if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. Now look at the text closely. This man said to himself, He didn't say one thing out loud. He just thought it in his heart. You got the picture? He's invited Jesus and he's sitting across the table and he's watching this woman 
weeping and crying and wiping her hair all over his feet and her face is nasty and he's thinking to himself, he doesn't even know who is at his feet or he would kick her away. He cannot be a prophet because he doesn't know her. Now, I want you all to listen closely. No, he's not focusing on her. Jesus is now going to focus on him. Yes, he is a prophet. By the way, are you like that? Do you think things in your heart that you don't say? You know, for example, let's just put ourselves in church. And somebody comes walking in in dirty clothes. And they're looking around and they don't know anybody. They're looking around for a place to sit and we came dressed because we come all the time and we kind of look the part, you know. We look over and go, who is that? I hope they don't come and sit here. You would never say that. But I hope they don't come and sit beside me. I might have to talk to them. Maybe I should look busy and talk to somebody else or start reading my phone or do you all ever think that? Just say no, because I know you don't. What about when you go in somewhere else and you meet somebody? Do you ever, you ever talk to yourself and start saying things about people? Don't, don't say you don't. Of course you do. Let me tell you something. God knows our heart when we think about people like that. Now Jesus, by the way, has something to say. Look what he says in verse 40. Jesus answered him and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Interesting statement, isn't it? Now remember, Simon doesn't know Jesus knows what he's thinking. I have something to say to you, Simon. And Simon probably thinks he's going to give him a lecture on theology proper and talk to him about uh, the points of Calvinism. I'm being funny here, okay? Calvinism even that he was expecting some grand theological talk and jesus says i'm going to tell you a story a certain money lender had two debtors one owed 500 denarii and the other 50 by the way a denarii was about a day's farm labor so can you imagine being in debt 500 days labor, that's like a year and a half labor, or 50. One had 500, one had 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Hmm, you all help me for a minute. Let me put this in practical terms. If you have a loan on your house and you owe $400, or you owe 40000 and the bank calls up and says, I'm going to forgive both of you, who do you think is going to be the happiest? The one that worked his whole life and got it down to four hundred, or the one who said, Woo, Scott free, $40,000 taken away by the coronavirus relief bill. I'm being funny again. Who do you think it's going to be? Well, listen to what the man, which of them do you think will love him more? Now, let me read an implication in here. 
Dear Simon, the Pharisee who invited him, probably grew up in a nice synagogue. He probably had a mother and a father that took him to worship every Sabbath. And they probably taught him right and wrong. They probably taught him the Ten Commandments, to honor God, to be honest, to tell the truth. And they taught him what was right and disciplined him. And he was raised in such a way that he knew right from wrong. And he prided himself in his righteous life. On the other hand, you had this little girl. Maybe her mother and father wanted to raise her right, but things just didn't turn out that way. And she comes in. Simon answers, verse 43, Well, the one I suppose for whom... He canceled the larger debt. He said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. Now let me take you back to the ancient Near East, okay? When you walked in somebody's house in the ancient East, if they were even halfway courteous there was a bowl of water at the door that you would kick your sandal off and take your foot and rinse down in it and get all the sand out between your toes. If they were a little bit nicer, they'd have a servant there who had a towel that when you wiped all the water off, you wouldn't walk through other dirt and stick to your feet. They would take it and they would literally wipe your feet off. That was just common courtesy, folks. That's just like opening the door for somebody. And Jesus tells Simon, he says, Simon, you invited me to your house, and I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But this woman has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. With her hair. Look at her face. You gave me no kiss. The second common greeting after they washed their feet off was to go up and give a side kiss on the cheek to show that they were welcoming you. He says, you gave me no kiss on my cheek. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You all have the picture here? They are trying to eat at this theological dinner and all they can hear is this woman thank you thank you cleaning his feet she says I've waited my whole life for somebody that actually cares about me You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, they are many, are forgiven. What words? What words? Can you imagine how this woman felt when God Himself released her from the bondage of her sins? You see, there was a huge difference between Him and her 
She knew the weight of her sin. When she heard those words, she is forgiven. It was almost like taking a hundred pound anvil off her chest and just sitting it to the side. Do you know what it means to be forgiven, folks? It means to have everything that you've ever done offensive to God completely taken away and removed. Not only is it removed, never to be brought up again. Now, let me ask this question. Why was she forgiven? Is it because she kissed his feet and rubbed with her hair? No, stop. Let's go down to verse 50. Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. You know, here's my opinion. You ready for my opinion? You know how much it's worth? Not a dime, but I'm going to tell you what it is anyway. I personally think this woman placed faith in him in Matthew eleven twenty eight when he was out and said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I think she placed her faith in him out there, and she followed him in there to show her gratitude and her thanks. That's my opinion. She followed him in, and she kissed his feet, she wiped him with her hair to show her gratitude. Look at what Jesus now says. Verse 47. Therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, are forgiven. But he who is forgiven little, for she loved much, but he who's, who is forgiven little, loves little. That was awful. Let me go back up. 46. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Now stop right there. He, she who is forgiven much, loves much. The one who is forgiven little, loves little. Now let's just park here for a minute, can I? Every one of us walk in here today a debtor. Okay, every one of us have a sin debt toward God. Some of us, however, have a greater debt. Some have a lesser debt. And sometimes this can be a barrier in our life. Don't let it be. Sometimes... If we have little to be forgiven of, we forget that there are people out there who have much. And this man wasn't able to see that. Now, let me finish it. Those, then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to this woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Whew, what a story. Now, as I began to think about that, here's what I began to think about. There are three barriers, three barriers, I haven't even got to them yet, have I, that stop people and churches from pointing others to Jesus. What, what are those barriers? Barrier number one, are you ready? You're writing it down? Prejudice. Prejudice. Now, I'm not talking about this ridiculous social justice prejudice of the day. I'm so sick of it, I'm, I'm up to there with it. 
Everybody's a racist even if you're not a racist. You're a racist even though you don't know it. And if you think you're not, that means you're a racist. That's ridiculous. The kind of racist prejudice I'm talking about here is putting ourselves in such a position that we prejudge the needs and the heart of people before we even know them. Now, I want to tell you something. Before you go, I'm glad that's not me, you, you stop. You stop. I told this story earlier. I was with a fella of means, and he took me in the presence of a few other people with means. And by the way, I don't mean this in a negative connotation, so please don't take it wrong. Maybe it's just the way I'm raised and my life. I am just not turned on by the elite society. That doesn't mean that I don't love them or think, think about them. I'm from McDowell County, West Virginia, the poorest county in southern West Virginia. I saw people drinking out of tubes and hoses and so forth, and that's where, that's where we grew up, just poverty. Finally moved to southern West Virginia to another county where we were, at least we couldn't see everybody. We were on a farm. We didn't know everybody. In McDowell County, we lived on top of them. But as these wealthy folk began to talk, they boasted about their riches and their place in life to the point that I wanted to gag. I'm sorry to be so graphic, but it was just nothing but elitism. And my friend has an inroad to them. And as we were leaving there, I said, don't miss your opportunity to tell them what their riches are going to get them. I'm going to save you the gist, and that's, that's the gist of it. Okay, I'll save you the details. I said, because one day, if something doesn't change radically in their life, they're going to wake up in a devil's hell. Because they have no concept of a need for God. They've got everything they need. They don't need God. And they were totally blind to everybody else. It was almost like it was the elite world and then the rest. You see, Christians can become that way. Did you know that? We can forget where we might have been. You know, it doesn't take long to stop and think what, what one little event in our life, only one would have totally changed our destiny. I've often thought, my father was a logger. What would have happened if my dad would have died out in the woods when I was just a kid, living in the sticks in McDowell County? My mother probably could have never escaped. I don't know. What if? We don't know. Prejudice. You know, we can even show prejudice toward the poor or other people, people that we think are too bad. So this is a danger, folks, in the church. And I shared this this morning. I don't mean this to be mean because during the 70s and 80s, there was this, and 90s, there was this righteous movement that happened in the church that when people got divorced, their life was over and there was no hope for them. And I brought this out last week. The church lost its grand opportunity to minister and witness to broken people during that time, because the only thing a divorced person could hear is, you can't serve as a deacon, you can't be a man, you can't, 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 can't. You know what divorced people did? Let me tell you what they did. They said, if they don't want me, I guess I'll just live alone. Do you all want to know why we started up 
a divorce care ministry that we want to see get back up as fast as possible because that's still the thought process in some people. We hear it every time. Prejudice that we have toward people. That's number one. The first barrier we have to overcome is what? Prejudice. What's the second barrier? This one's going to hurt a little bit because it stabbed me. Barrier number two is blindness. Blindness. This Pharisee was so blind that he could not see himself. Are you all, are you all with me or am I up here by myself? He couldn't even see himself. He was myopic. He, he only... He, he judged everybody and everything by his own righteous standard. In other words, look at, look at me and what I see is right and what I do is right. And if they don't do it like I do it, they're not right. You know why? Because he was blind. The only thing he could see was himself. I am afraid that coming out of COVID, where we've had one year to do what? Are you all listening to me? Hear me closely here. Only focus on ourself. Okay. Everybody's diseased. You, you are a threat to my life. Get away. Get away. Get, get to myself. You know, I think about these Duke players or whoever the basketball team was. They, they have hid for one year of their life to catch corona. One year. I don't get me off on that. My point is, we have been programmed now to focus only on who? Preservation of life, preservation of self. Only, you know, this, take care of those we care. And I'm going to tell you something. If the church is going to be impactful and point people to Jesus, we have to bust that and break that all to pieces. One of our missionaries over in the Middle East, and I won't even name the country, they got hammered with corona. Let me tell you what this man said. He called us one day and he was giddy. He said, Brother, we are taking hot food to all the people in their homes with COVID and we are ministering to them and witnessing to them with hot meals because they can't cook. This is what our church is doing. He says, The government has given me a pass to travel through the streets of this city to go to all the houses to take as much food. He says, and we are feeding these people for a dollar or two. He said, the Muslims ask us, why are you doing this? You know what he said? Because our Jesus tells us to. Are you not afraid of the corona? I am not afraid of death. This is what he said. And he said, our church has witnessed and shared more with people and shown them love during this crisis than anything else, and we don't think we're going to be able to hold the doors on. There's a brother that wasn't blind. He jumped all over an opportunity. Praise be to God that he did. But this... Man was blind toward himself. You know who else he was blind toward? He was blind toward that woman. You know, one of the hardest things for Christians to do is to get down in the shoes of another person. This is why I wish every person in our church could, could be involved in counseling. 
Because if you don't hear the needs and the heart of people, you, you sometimes lose this idea of what it means to be broken. And I'm going to tell you something this morning. There are broken, broken people in this congregation and in this community and in and around your life everywhere you go. Broken. And they're waiting for a word from the Savior that says, Come to me. Come to me. I'll give you rest for your soul. They're waiting. But this man was blind to her need. It's so easy for us to be blind. It's so, so easy for us to think only about ourselves and not others. But I'm going to tell you one other area he was blind in, and I think sometimes we are too, and that is he couldn't see Jesus. You know, Jesus saw this poor girl. And I want you to hear me closely here. He cared more for that poor girl than anybody there. And he cared as much for her as he did Rabbi Nicodemus of the Pharisees. And I'm going to tell you something this morning, and this is good theology, so you just put it away and mark it down as this is right. There are no degrees of love in God's love when it comes to people. In other words, Billy Graham is not on level three, and you are on level one. That is, that is what's ridiculous. God has one level of love for people, and it runs a continuous stream, and it's as much for Billy Graham as it is for Aunt Grandma. You say, well, there is no such thing as Aunt Grandma. I know that. I'm talking about the lowest sinner in the world who came to Christ. This woman here, if you want to put her in that slot, his love for her was as equal terms as Billy Graham. But this guy couldn't see it. He was blind. And you know, sometimes we don't see that, do we? We don't see God's amazing love and how it reaches the depths of human hearts. It's a barrier we have to overcome. And by the way, if we're going to point people to Jesus, we, we've got to bust these barriers down. Barrier number one, prejudice. Barrier number two, blindness. What's barrier number three? Barrier number three is insensitivity. Insensitivity. Can you imagine this Pharisee sitting across the table? Here is this woman begging and crying, weeping her eyes out. And he says to himself, Oh my goodness, look at this sinner at my table. Thank God Jesus knows the heart. Amen. Because he probably sat there and went, See, Jesus knew his heart. He was so insensitive. You know, Christians can become so insensitive. Did you know that? Uh, let, me, let me tell you some ways. I, I shared in the early service, I'm going to preach a series of messages sometime on the sensitivity of the Spirit. Because I'm not sure Christians even know when the Holy Spirit's trying to deal with us in our life. And I'm not even sure we know how to respond when that happens because we don't even, we don't even know. 
But you see, when you trust Christ as your Savior to forgive you of your sin, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and He actually works with your conscience. The Holy Spirit and the human conscience work together, and He makes the conscience sensitive. Sensitive to sin, sensitive to the needs of other people. And when we as believers sin against Him and against sensitivity, the opposite of sensitivity happens, and that's called callousness. I heard from somebody one time who had an addiction in their life and they didn't break it. And this is what he says, I know I'm a believer and I know God wants me to stop this, but I, I can't and I don't really want to. And he kept on and on and on. And finally, God had to get his attention. But listen to me closely. He said, I became insensitive to God. I, God was telling me to do something and wanted me to obey but I wanted my own way. And you know, perhaps this Pharisee had be become himself for so long, thought of himself for so long, that he was so insensitive to this woman that he couldn't even shed a tear at her broken life and broken heart. He couldn't even shed a tear when this woman got down on her hands and knees at the feet of Jesus and bawled because he finally met her greatest need. And I'm convinced in our heart and in the heart of our church, if we are going to be able to point people to Jesus, we are going to have to be a sensitive people to the needs of others. And I, I'm just saying that looking through this passage, and I believe God woke me up to share these things in our church today. First of all, in my life, second of all in our church. And whatever these barriers might be, I think we need to do business with God and tell Him, Oh God, break these barriers of indifference. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. Sometimes, Lord, we need things that we don't want to hear. I need them. This morning, oh God, I think You have spoken to our heart, to our church, and to us. And, oh God, if these things exist in our life, which I know they do, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have His way this morning. That You would remove these barriers as only You can as we lay our hearts open to You and expose the things in our life that cause us not to want to point people to you. So, Lord, whatever the need is in the hearts of people this morning, I pray that you'll meet it. And whatever needs there are, Lord, that need to be dealt with, I pray the Holy Spirit would give people the power and the strength to smash the barrier. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Before you go and while your heads are still bowed, I want you to pray this morning. And I want you to ask God this question, just you and God. Lord, is there anything in my heart and life that keeps me from pointing people to you? Am I prejudiced, Lord? And do I think things about people and because of what I believe about them, I don't want to share? 
because I think you don't love them? Or Lord, am I, am I really blind? Because some people live their whole life never knowing they're blind until they go to the doctor and see. Am I blind this morning, Lord? And is it possible that I'm not seeing something you've put right before me today? Or Lord, am I just indifferent? Have I become so hardened and so calloused that I'm not even sensitive to your spirit anymore? Oh God, break whatever it is and help me to walk with you. You pray and ask God to do that right now. And Father, I pray for the heart of each person here, each person online, each person who will hear this, and even for those who won't, Lord. Do a work in our heart that we can't explain and help us to point people to your love. And whatever barrier there may be, Lord, it's no greater than you. And we thank you for that. We ask your blessings on our service, on our upcoming future. Change and transform our life forever because of what we've heard today. We thank you in Jesus.